Welcome, everybody, to the Resilient Leadership Podcast, where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you to lead with a greater sense of calm, clarity, and conviction, even in the midst of escalating change and uncertainty. And my name is Bridget Tyre, and I am lucky to be joined by my fellow collaborator and co-host, Irvin Nugent. And Irvin, we're coming off of Memorial Weekend as we record this. How was your weekend? It was Wonderful. It was very chilled, actually. Normally, I think we were just talking before we recorded this. I'm normally on the go. And this time, I did, we did not. We did a little cleaning. Actually, the weather is just being divine. It's more like spring, hardly, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I just read and uh, really had a wonderful weekend. And I know that you were a little all over the place. Yeah, I didn't have the same kind of chill weekend. I was in New York City. <laughs> As I was sharing with you, my daughter and I went to see the Taylor Swift concert at MetLife Stadium, and we had front row seats. I didn't tell you that part. No. And literally, oh. she was standing in front of us, and we could, <laughs> we could reach out and touch her if we were elevated a little bit higher. But anyways, it was fabulous, but it's good to be back, and it's good to be focusing on this conversation with you. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more. What are we going to talk about today? Yes, yeah, so we are going to talk about what can we do to turn around underperformers, whether that be an individual underperformer, a team, shoot, maybe even a whole division in your organization if you manage a lot of people, right? Mm. And I think, you know, we've touched on this from time to time. There was an episode back in season one called Courageous Conversations. We touched on that being one of the conversations that you might have to have. But in, in today's episode, we're going to tackle it a little bit differently. You know, we're going, to, we're going to share three strategies for how a leader can turn around underperformance. But before we do, I want to share two quick stories that are very recent mm. and tip of tongue for me. And then, Irvin, I want to see what you think about these, as I have not mm. shared these with you. Mm-hmm. So one is the story of a great turnaround, a client who I coached and in the beginning, Pretty much every session we had, every coaching session, he would talk about this underperformer to the point, you know, where I'm like, are we really going to spend all of our time talking about this other person? And then about four months, four or five months into the coaching, suddenly I noticed this person was not coming up anymore. And in point of fact, they had completely turned around their performance and they were hitting the mark. And what was interesting is that when we first start talking about her, I don't think he had a lot of confidence that that would happen. I think that it surprised even him. And as we'll discuss, you know, with our strategies, 95% of it was what he did to change that. Mm-hmm. Second story, not a turnaround. Maybe our listeners are more familiar with this kind of an outcome where there was an underperforming employee in an organization where one of my good colleagues, Jim Burns, I think you know Jim Burns, right, Irvin? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh-huh. very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when he was managing a big hotel, he had a director, and that director was not addressing the underperformance of one of his employees who was failing to communicate clearly about everything. I mean, he was so hard to follow. and you know, Jim said to his director, you've got to address it. And this director said, mm, hemmed and hawed and said, I will, but never really did. And, and, and then Jim sort of lost his resolve. And anyways, when a new sheriff came into town, so to speak, and they had to actually let go of some employees, it was a riff of sorts. That guy got let go. And you know what he was told? 
this is not about you. We just had to let go of some employees. Mm. But then six months later, so they found out he got another job, which was great. But six months later, you know what happened? He got fired from that job Mm. for the same reason. Mm. So it can go either way. Sometimes it turns around, sometimes it doesn't. And that's really what we're going to unpack today. So I don't know, Irvin, do, do my stories resonate with you? They absolutely resonate. It's so interesting you talk about that because I also am beginning some coaching sessions, some new clients, and actually underperformance has come up. And it's so interesting. And there's a, a connection, I think, between some of them, which which is new situations. So I have one situation where... A person has moved from one organization to another and what worked there is not working. Mm. And they themselves are saying, you know, I'm, I'm just not performing. I, I'm underperforming and it's a mystery. And so it's just the expiration of a conversation to begin with that. But that's really going to be the focus of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Why is it what seemed to work doesn't work anymore and I'm underperforming? And then the second coaching client is from a supervisor who just got a direct report who was an incredibly good employee, but since they've taken over the supervision, their performance <laughs> is good. So wow. now, they're, now they're this exploration of why is that happening? What, what have I done? What have I not done? So we're just in the beginnings of it, but I think today's episode is exactly a perfect you know, conversation to have because these are the situations that crop up time and time again. Oh, they do. And the consequences are significant, right? Mm. I mean, one is it can hijack all of our time and energy as a leader, and we fail to put that time and energy to more broad brush strategic pursuits, but the personal consequences are just great. So yeah, let's let's unpack this with our listeners. So the first strategy, Irvin, might not be something that our listeners would consider. So why don't we start there? Why don't you share the very first strategy? Yeah, well, you know what our instinct is, is to diagnose and to cut apart the other person and find out what's wrong with them and cut it out. But of course, the first strategy is focus on your own functioning first. Now, that may seem counterintuitive because we're not the problem. The other person is the problem. They're the one that is underperforming. And so therefore, focusing on your functioning first may say, well, why would I do that? And I think it's from, first of all, the idea that as leaders, we always have a role in what we're getting or not getting. And this is not about apportioning fault or blame or pointing fingers, but rather it's, it's really being curious. It's, we've talked about this before, the, the essential importance of curiosity and about what might be my role in either contributing to a problem, compounding a problem. And I think, you know, the basic question of this is what's my part in it? And that may be very difficult to see firsthand um, because we may be contributing to a problem that we are doing so without even being consciously aware. We may be inadvertently doing this. So what are some things that, that might come up? We're going to answer what could be my part in this? Mm-hmm. So, for example, you could think about how much leeway do I give the employee? Am I giving them too much freedom, too much autonomy? You know, that's always um, an equation that a leader has to deal with. You know, do I want how close do I want to monitor them or do I want to give them some autonomy or good? And, and sometimes 
if we give them too much freedom and autonomy, and especially for people who are new to organizations, you know, that may hinder their ability to, to perform uh, and their ability to really get their handle of what's happening in the organization. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And so then a second one would be, you know, we always make assumptions. Oh, boy, when it comes to communication, that we each have the same understanding of what exactly is expected. And of course, oh my God, if, if I had a dollar for every time that this came up, I would be a rich man because really we think we have communicated it clearly and yet at times it keeps coming up. And so therefore, what are your expectations for quality, uh, for thorough, uh, thoroughness, for, for timeliness, et cetera? And has that been adequately communicated? Really important. Also, you know, and I find this especially with um, some of the younger generations as well, is the lack of on the moment, in the moment coaching. I find that, that some of the newer generations oh, yeah. coming through the workforce are looking for that kind of spontaneous coaching on the spot. And so therefore, the lack of that mm-hmm. can also really lead to some underperformance. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm thinking of, Irvin? It just what, yeah. what you just said reminded me of a couple of articles I've read recently about the downside of the virtual work world and that it disproportionately negatively impacts younger people because the coaching and the mentoring does not happen as well, right? When you're working virtually versus when you're shoulder to shoulder with people. Yeah, 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 it's, it's so true. Now, another thing as well would be our own fear or anxiety around giving feedback. Mm. You know, this is coming up. I'm I'm just uh, working with a a new organization. And one of the problems that they presented was the fact that some of their underperformers, part of this is that their supervisor hasn't really had an honest conversation Mm -hmm. and hasn't really been forthright in what are some of the issues. And of course, it's so unfair. That's like trying to improve in the dark. You know, well, what what am I aiming at? It's kind of I'm throwing darts to try and improve here, but I have no idea. I'm in the dark. So really, you know, at times, some of these conversations are not easy and they need to happen. And and so therefore, giving that candid feedback is important. And then another area which I, I think many people could see as well is just the sheer busyness of life. And the fact that we have a multitude of things to do and to give feedback or to give instant coaching, et cetera, we just don't have the availability that we would like. And so therefore it goes without answering. And then the final thing I would just say, another organization I'm I'm working with at the moment, this is a very real pain point for them, is a lack of clarity around roles and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Now, what am I responsible for? But equally, what am I not responsible for and what should I be giving to someone else? And at times when, when we don't have that kind of clarity as well, it can easily lead to a lack of performance. So, so Bridge, I'm wondering, do they resonate with you? Oh, yeah, completely. All of them. And I'm thinking back to the two stories that I mentioned at the beginning. And, you know, the, the story about the manager who had the, the great turnaround with his employee, right? Mm. I think there were some assumptions being made there that she should know what to do because when he was in her role, he didn't need a lot of feedback. He just did it, mm. right? And he was in lockstep with his manager. 
So he just assumed that's the way she would be. Yeah. And that wasn't the case. And then I think also, you know, you're mentioning the whole thing about candid feedback. What I think is interesting is sometimes we assume that people need the kind of feedback we would prefer. So he, he gave her feedback, but it wasn't useful to her. She's the type of person and Irvin, I wonder if you've ever like coached somebody like this or heard one of your clients talk about it. She wanted concrete, direct Mm -hmm. feedback. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me questions that are kind of vague. Don't give me sort of broad brush. Just, you know, lead me right to the point. And so when he started giving her the kind of feedback she told him she needed, she really started to perform better. And then that whole thing about the fearing anxiety, that was probably what was connected to the second story is that even though my client did tell his direct report, look, you need to confront your employee. You need to have conversations. Both of them at the end of the day, their own mm, anxieties around really pushing this and, and getting this to the place where it needed to be really kept them from holding him accountable. Yeah. yeah, you know so it's really interesting well. that that mm-hmm. example you just brought up because I'm just doing um, some work with an organization about giving some feedback to surveys that they've done, and this disconnect about the nature of feedback has really come to the fore with some employees in their feedbacks uh, in their uh, uh, survey saying, you know, I really don't get a lot of feedback, and the supervisor totally mystified. I give feedback all the time. I, I, I have no idea how this, and it was just, you know, it was kind of a great conversation about, well, what do we call feedback? What's the quality of it? What are we seeking? And do we understand what the other person is seeking? And I think it was a realization, you know, well, I've just assumed that what they thought I was giving was feedback and maybe that's not the case. Yeah. And so the more that we talk about it, the more it's clear that if a leader is willing to pause and say, huh, what is my part in this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That they might uncover some, some ways they are, as you said, contributing to underperformance or compounding it. Absolutely. But you got to look. You can't, gotta if you look. don't look, you're not going to yeah. see it. And you got to be curious. Yes. Yeah. Curiosity, that's the first strategy. How about the second strategy? What we want to share with our listeners, Bridget? Yeah, well, it's really building on what you just said. You know, I often say to my clients who are struggling with underperformance that, you know, people can't hit a mark they don't know is there. So mm-hmm. when you were saying earlier, it's kind of like throwing darts in yeah. the dark. Mm-hmm. The second strategy is simply this make the mark much more visible and much easier to hit. Mm-hmm. And so, what does that mean? Well, I think a couple things, clarity, consistency, and shared understanding, right? We we have to be clear about what the mark is. And I think leaders often assume they've been clearer than they have been about their expectations, about the role, whatever the case may be. They'll say, I said this already, you know, but then that's not the same thing as building shared understanding. So, you know, you might have as a leader said, hey, you know, I really expect that you will show initiative more than you're showing. And the person nods their head. Right. And then the conversation is over and you think, well, I did my part. But what if their understanding of showing initiative and yours is not the same thing? Mm -hmm. 
And to get to shared understanding requires dialogue. It's a back and forth, right? And you have to kind of test to see if you're on the same page. Yeah. And I think that makes the mark a lot easier to hit is, you know, let's have some dialogue about, well, what do I mean when I say this? And what do you, what did you just hear? Yeah. And, you know, until you're confident that that shared understanding exists. Another example would be around job descriptions, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, let's say this underperforming employee has a written job description. So the leader might think, okay, well, the role is clear. I gave them the job description. But, you know, most job descriptions don't really spell out some of the more in-between-the-lines stuff, right? And so a conversation may need to be had around what is this role actually and what's your understanding of it versus what's my understanding of it versus what's in the job description. Yeah. Yeah. So making that mark clear and making sure we both see the mark in the same way is the second strategy. And, you know, the consistency piece of this, I think, is another thing. Like, is the mark changing locations? <laughs> you know, is it, is it being moved? Are your messages inconsistent about the mark? And then what if they're hitting the mark some of the time, but not all the time, but, but you never really tell them, oh, yeah, you, when you just had that meeting and you did this, you hit it perfectly, right? But in, in another meeting, when they miss it, you don't capitalize on that moment and say, now that was an example of where you missed it. Yeah. 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 So I think the second strategy is so key and it's a place for us to just ask ourselves, what is the mark? How well have I communicated it? And how can I make it easier for people to see it and to hit it? So Irvin, what, you know, I'm making kind of a big deal about this notion of shared understanding, which is not the same thing as communicating. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate with you? Does that like remind you of some things yourself? Yeah, it really does. You know, I, I think as well to be honest and acknowledge that we've said many, many times before that we live in a world of rapid change. And part of that experience, I think, for people is that it's sometimes there is a lack of clarity because things are shifting. Right. And I think the temptation, therefore, is because of that not to say anything or just to leave it wishy-washy. And I think people still crave for some help in measuring, are they doing okay in the midst of this? We may not know where the final target is because it's shifting. And therefore, I think it is even when you say we're really um we have a lack of clarity around here what can we be clear about is there anything we can be clear about and you know some of the things would be defining success you know what would success look like for this person or this team is a way of of getting some clarity around it what are expectations so why we might we may not be fully aware of the goal that we're approaching, but can we have expectations of how each person is contributing depending on the level or perhaps the role that they have in a team? And then responsibilities. This gets us into, I think there's such a lack of clarity around this at times. You know, what am I responsible for and what am I not responsible for? Mm-hmm. Has that has a discussion happened there? And are people clear about that? And then what resources are available to me? You know, at times, again, um, especially coming out of COVID, I'm not sure if you're, you're, you're seeing this as well, Bridget, you know, but, but organizations became very lean and they let a lot of people go. 
Yes. And, and I think, you know, it's interesting. Some organizations are beginning to hire again and beef it up. But I think resources are very important because there's times where people have felt all alone and they had to do it themselves. And it's kind of important to mark out, you know, what what resources are, um, do you have? What what can we say that you can use? And then uh, prioritizations, I think, as well. Wow, we work in organizations where it's hectic and there are so many different tasks to be done. And is there clarity about priorities? Which mm. is important. And which one can I let go of? Because perhaps this one is more important now. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know about you, that leads to such an interesting conversation because I think the message a lot of people get is, well, they're all priorities. They're all important. And, and then people find very, very uh, difficult to have kind of clarity around that, around, you know, what's the most important thing now? What should I be doing right now? Mm-hmm. I think that one is maybe one of the biggest impediments to employees hitting the mark is that there are too many priorities. The mm-hmm. priorities are shifting too often and or the manager hasn't been clear enough about those priorities. And as you said, as things evolve and change, so do our priorities. That's fine. But are we having the conversations around that? And, you know, employees, we, we typically are dealing with high achievers here. They want to hit the mark. Yeah. So they're going to keep trying to hit everything until they are given explicit direction or permission to focus on these three, right? Instead of these 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really, really big deal. Hmm. Mm. All right. Well, we have one more strategy left. And I think this is, again, maybe one that's a bit counterintuitive, maybe not the first place a leader might turn to when they are frustrated with underperformance. But I think it's so essential. And Irvin, why don't you start us off on that strategy? Yeah, it it brings us back to really one of the key underpinnings of the approach that we take in this podcast, and that is looking at things from a systems perspective. And this is a classic example of why this is so important. Because when you get into a performance or underperformance dialogue, normally you reduce it down to you and the other person. And it's what's happening. What am I doing wrong? What are you doing wrong? What am I not saying? What are you saying? And it it can get into that relationship just the two of you. And I think it's really important to zoom back and to realize that we all function within a system, be it our family, be it a team, be it an organization. And that as well has to be critically viewed. We have to be just as curious about the system and what the system is telling us about what's happening here. And is there any clues that the system gives us to why we might be experiencing underperforming in this individual or a team. And let me just pull out just a couple of things that we might want to think about. So the first one then is our culture, the culture of the organization. And is there any norms uh, within the culture that might mean it's really difficult for a person to hit the mark? And, And some cultural norms here, which would be interesting, might be to consider, you know, how does the organization treat risk? Is it risk averse? And so therefore, is the, the unnamed message that a person is getting, you know, um, I, I'm pushing hard for change, but I can't risk. We don't risk things here. Or else, um, the other thing we brought up a number of times already is the importance at times of really direct conversations, an honest conversation, open conversation about performance. But, you know, in some cultures, uh, we don't have those. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. beyond 
that here. We're not very direct. We're very indirect, or we don't right. really show candor. And really, we value kindness and compassion. And, and that's great. These are wonderful values. But um, sometimes, really, the cost, therefore, can be some really important conversation. Mm-hmm. Ways that it makes it more difficult to give a person some feedback that they really need. So that's mm-hmm. the culture from a systems perspective. Um, the second thing as well is, is the organization going through a huge change at the moment? So, you know, you may be just focusing in what's before you, and yet all around you, you have this huge amount of change that's happening, which is leading to uncertainty, and therefore it's contributing to, you know, a person's lack of success. And that, we kind of mentioned it the last time as well, you know, change as well can be can be so immediate, can be so rapid at times that we kind of really then scratch our heads with that question, what does it mean to be successful here? It's, it's like the, the goal is changing because of the, the constant change around me. And then the third thing is patterns of reactivity. So one of the things that we have said before when it comes to a systems approach, when an organization is very anxious, some of the behaviors we see are predictable. Um, they're always, it always happens. And so to be curious about Am I seeing any of those predictable behaviors that happen in times of great anxiety? And of course, you know, one of the ones that comes to mind here is is under and over functioning. So, you know, an underperformance can be a fact of someone who's under functioning, who is really not taking the full emotional responsibility for their role. And, and when you see that, then you've got another person who is over functioning, stepping in, taking mm-hmm. And not just in the doing, but almost feeling this emotional responsibility that if I don't do this, then things are going to fall apart. One of the other patterns that we've discussed in the other episode is triangles, that inherently relationships are not just the back and forth between two people, but because of the anxiety that we feel, we always bring another person into that conversation. That doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be very toxic. So say, for example, in this, if you're having a problem with an employee who's under-functioning, instead of going directly to them and say, hey, we have a problem, let's talk about it. Well, no, you don't do that, but you talk to another person out there and uh, let's say a peer and say, oh, you know what, I don't know what we're going to do with Cindy. She's really underperforming. <laughs> you're bringing him into, you know, your peer into that triangle and it gets toxic. So, and then other things as well, when it comes to a systems approach to reactivity is some resistance and sabotage. Mm-hmm. And very often, uh, those are things that are seeing resistance to change or even sabotaging the change. So can we be curious enough to look at some of these behaviors and note them for what they are, that they are a normal part of a uh, system that is highly anxious? Mm-hmm. And of course, what we know from that is that the most important thing, therefore, to do as a leader is go back to that number one again, is to focus on our own functioning, but also realize that we have real power in that situation to influence the system around us just by Mm -hmm. the way that we're showing up and by our very presence. Mm -hmm. Boy, you know, it's so critical. And yet, if you think about it, like in your experience as a leader, Irvin, when you, and I'm sure you had this, when you were faced with an underperformer, I bet it wasn't instinctive for you to say, well, let me get on the balcony and think about what's Mm -hmm. going on 
in the broader system that might be contributing to this. No. It's not uh, intuitive, right? Yeah, no. I mean, for me, the great temptation, I mean, as I talk about this now, I can think, oh my God, the different triangles I created, toxic triangles I created, because, you know, my my gut is not to have those kind of conversations because I want everyone to love me. And so uh, part of the problem is that I can remember, it's so easy for me just to relieve that anxiety I was feeling by bringing another person in. Yeah. Of course, yeah. it happens so naturally. And mm -hmm. therefore to get on the balcony and to be curious about that, it, it really does, uh, it doesn't come naturally and it's something we really have to try and do because mm -hmm. Very anxious, you know, thinking is difficult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think straight about things is difficult. Yeah, because I think bottom line is we do not perform or underperform in isolation. We're always performing in a system, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, even like in your example where you were a people pleaser and so you struggled to have direct conversations sometimes with underperformers, let's say you're a leader who's pretty good at that but maybe on your team none of the other people are good at it and they're peers of the underperformer so they never talk to the underperformer directly about anything and you know what you have a role in that you can you can explicitly say to your team i am going to be direct with you and you are going to be direct with each other and this is the practice that is expected yeah mm -hmm. So it's really interesting, isn't it? Okay, so we've talked about, you know, culture. We've talked about organizational change. We've talked about reactive patterns, all part of the systems perspective. And of course, this is not meant to excuse underperformance. It's not like, oh, well, you know, the system is messed up. So I guess we'll just let people underperform. But it's rather to help you better pinpoint what obstacles you may need to remove systemically. Yeah. For people to elevate their performance. Absolutely. Yeah. So and, vital. And to realize that, that you're also competing with bigger forces. And until you recognize that as well, if we want lasting change, uh, you know, looking at the system becomes critical. You know, you, you reminded me of something when you talked about the cultural element, you know, how might the culture be both supporting and getting in the way of a performer and you talked about risk adverse cultures. And I'm thinking about somebody that, you know, I worked with a, a while ago who was brought in to create change and she had a mandate to do so. But the organization was like 30 years old. And some of those people have been there for 25 years mm -hmm. and the culture was risk adverse and change adverse. And the thing is, is her boss didn't really guide her to understand that. In fact, he kind of pushed her to bring about change too soon, you know, not respecting the, the, the culture that he was quite well aware of and held, had helped create. Yeah. 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 So anyways. All right. So I think it's time to leave with our listeners yes. a little bit of a practice. Absolutely. What do you suggest? Well, I'm going to suggest something very simple. Mm. It's just a question. Mm-hmm. The question to be curious about and to be in inquiry around is this. Where might I need to be clearer about what and with whom? Mm. 
to assume that you think you've been clearer than you actually have been. That's what happens with leaders. We're busy people. We don't always get it right. And we don't always have dialogue to build shared understanding. So if we ask this question, it, it's an invitation to be curious about, oh, you know what? When I really think about it, I probably could step in and provide some greater clarity around the way this new person's role is affecting everybody else's role and responsibilities. And there's some work to be done there. Or when I asked that question, I realized that I think my expectations are clear, but actually that's probably not entirely true. Mm. You know? So we invite you to ask the question and notice what surface is for you and then step in and, and build some greater clarity and shared understanding. Because at the end of the day, Clarity is the lifeblood of organizations. Mm. Without it, people flail about, going back to your analogy, you know, Irvin, of throwing darts, just trying to hit something. And with clarity and shared understanding, that's how we hit the mark. And that's how we hit it and exceed it, too. Mm. So that's the practice. Simple, right? Yeah. What a powerful question. Where am I to need to be clear about what and with whom? Whoa. That, that's really powerful. Mm, love that. Well, Bridget, what a great conversation. This is an issue that I'm sure that many, many of our leader, uh, uh, listeners are dealing with, or if they're not dealing at the moment, they will have to deal with. <laughs> it comes up perennial. And so hopefully these three strategies will have helped you. Strategy number one, focus on your uh, functioning first. Number two, you can't hit a mark that you don't see. So can you have clarity about the mark? And then number three, take a systems perspective. Can we zoom out and look at what's happening in the system? And there's a great question. Where might I need to be clear about what and with whom? So thank you so much. Uh, It's been great having you and for this conversation. I just want to remind our listeners as well. We'd love some feedback. And if you have any suggestions about future episode situations that you'd like us to address, please feel free um, to email us. The email address is resilientleadershippodcast at gmail.com. Bridget, thanks so much. I look forward to our next podcast. Hmm. Until then, I hope you enjoy this beautiful introduction to summer. All right, folks. Irvin, it was a delight talking with you as always. Take care, everybody. Bye now. Bye.